10-3 is brought to you by Callaway. Chrome Soft isn't just another tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low compression, low spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something and tried doing the same. But they can't. Because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with a graphene-infused dual soft fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone was playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball that changed the ball at CallawayGolf.ca. Canada's image on the international stage took a big hit in 2018 with Justin Trudeau's much maligned trip to India. But it goes deeper than that, with ambassadors and diplomats worried about how Trudeau's approach to foreign relations is damaging our place in the international community. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at where the Trudeau government is falling short, what the fallout could be, and whether this could hurt the Prime Minister in this fall's election. Speaking of this fall's election, we'll be devoting lots of our coverage on this podcast to what happens on the campaign trail, so be sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. John Iveson is the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for the National Post and Post Media. So, John, when Justin Trudeau's Liberals won the 2015 election, he boldly proclaimed, On behalf of 35 million Canadians, we're back. Canada's back. And many of us were confused because we hadn't realized Canada had gone anywhere. But we were back, apparently. So what did he mean by that? Well, it was a bit presumptuous, given the fact that we had been in Afghanistan for so long and... and suffered so many losses, you know, one of the higher per capita uh, losses for any of the uh, uh, alliance nations. But I think he was more specifically talking about multinational multinational forums, the United Nations prime among them. Stephen Harper talked about not going along to get along. Uh, he was, Harper was not a fan of the United Nations. Trudeau, I think, was, was signaling that there was going to be a change of style. That there was going to be a more open, more cooperative brand of foreign policy. But obviously, it was it was being said in a kind of derogatory fashion that Canada was not present in things like peacekeeping, was not a frontline player at the United Nations. That the the difference between the reality. And the rhetoric has been quite stark. And I think that many people, while there have been some good things down, down, down the period of time, even supporters of what Trudeau was trying to do would suggest he's fallen short. So you talk about Justin Trudeau wanting a more open foreign policy, more involvement in the UN. Is it a case that his promises have fallen short or that he was promising something different than he's delivering? Like that there's, he's delivering something, but it's, way off from what he suggested he would? Well, I don't think he's delivering too much, to be honest. I think that, that in many areas, um, you know, I was having the debate with somebody the other night about whether Justin Trudeau is a populist. Uh, to me, <laughs> he is a populist in that he he simplified everything. He, he's made governance sound simple and promised that he would come in and fix everything. And it turns out that governing's quite messy. And foreign policy messier than most areas of, of of governing. And a lot of the things that he talked about doing, and, and peacekeeping is just one example, but, um, you know, we took forever to decide on where we were going to go to on a peacekeeping mission. We ended up deciding we were going to go to Mali for one year 
Uh, we're now pulling out at the end of this month from Mali. We put in uh, uh, a number of helicopters and, and some support staff. Uh, and we're going to be followed by Romania, but Romania is not going to get there until October. That is hardly the impression of Canada being back that he promised. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- that promise, I guess, bounced up against the reality that Mali is a very dangerous place and it would be bad politics to put uh, Canadian men and women in harm's way. So, you know, they limited the exposure to to danger. We were we were in helicopters, but not in, not nobody was outside the wire in the way that they were in uh, in Afghanistan. You know, and then so you have a year long engagement, eight helicopters, two hundred and fifty personnel, and we're out before most Canadians knew we were in. Canadians are supportive when Canada goes on big peacekeeping operations. We're, we we take pride in the fact that our military is, gets engaged in these operations. And, and even when we were involved in active fighting in, in Afghanistan, I, I think despite how Canadians may have felt about the government getting us in the miss- mission, they were supportive of uh, the troops. What are some areas where Canadian foreign policy would also have fallen short of the expectations of Canadians. Well, I think that, I mean, the expectation, I think, among the Foreign Service uh, in the Global Affairs Department and, and Foreign Service officers was that this was a government that was going to spend a lot of money on them. <laughs> um, if you remember, Trudeau went in his opening press conference there with with Stéphane Dion, who was the foreign minister at the time, and they cheered him. I mean, he was treated like a rock star by supposedly neutral public servants, which did not reflect particularly well on them. I think that the the emphasis and the and the the resource which they expected was going to be lavished upon them has not shown up. I think that there has been a number of areas where uh, foreign policy has been subjugated to domestic politics, um, and I'm thinking particularly of the the Sikh community and and Tamil communities in uh, in the suburbs of Vancouver and Toronto. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other area which seems to have alienated most of our major allies, is this belief that Canada is a moral superpower and that all of those nations should sort of bow down to our superior moral worth and a kind of finger-wagging tone that was taking. You know, you, when I was with Trudeau when he went to China and there was the prospect we were going to sign a free trade deal or at least launch free trade negotiations, but the condition laid down by the Canadian government was that that China become more like Canada when it comes to labor relations and environmental standards. Hmm. You know, there was, down the centuries, the Chinese were used to people coming to to Beijing to kowtow, literally to tug their forelock and, and pay homage. Not, they weren't used to people coming in and wagging their fingers and telling them how relations were going to be. And not surprisingly, this did not go down very well and, we, and Trudeau came home empty-handed. Something similar happened in India. Um, something similar happened with the, with the Trump administration. I mean, I think Trudeau didn't handle Trump too badly, but there was a sense of of uh, this finger wagging style, and it's it left Canada at one point offside with three of its major, three of the major world powers in a way that senior diplomats with decades of experience said that they had not seen Canada being uh, so poorly regarded by 
three of the world's strongest powers. Now, I, yeah, we could we could break down some of each of these countries. Like looking at China, it seems like relations have only gotten worse it, beyond the free trade and the idea that maybe we were trying to impose uh, our beliefs on a government that doesn't necessarily, I think, believe too strongly in the idea of good labor relations and, and human rights. Um, but it's kind of slowly gone downhill with the arrest of Meng Wanzhou and the uh, a detainment of Canadians on the Chinese side of things. Like, How does the relationship fall apart that quickly? Because things used to be not great, but better than they are now. Well, I mean, I, I suppose you can only blame the the Canadian government for so much when it when it turns out that the uh, there's a, a more militaristic, more hardline administration in Beijing. Mm -hmm. But I do think we we made things worse for ourselves. There was a combination of naivete, myopia, and bad advice, uh, which led to to the debacle that happened in Beijing in late 2017. And I think that there were, it, the Liberal government was naive about China, and this some somehow goes to Trudeau's upbringing. I mean, he was taken to China by his father. If you remember, he talked about admiring the the Chinese dictatorship, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, that was a, a, a kind of silly thing to say, but I think he meant it. I mean, I do think that he, in some ways, for, for whatever reason, the Trudeaus seemed to hold dictators in high regards because he said similar things about uh, Fidel Castro in Cuba. And it took this administration... I mean, the liberal establishment has been in bed with the, the Chinese for a long time, probably from when uh, Trudeau recognized China 50 years ago. But uh, if you remember the Team Canada missions under Chrétien and uh, the number of liberal figures that are uh, very pro-China, they were very slow to see that Xi is a different kind of uh, Chinese leader. This romantic vision of China is no longer true, and it took them a very long while to figure that out. You mentioned India as well, and I mean, many Canadians, uh, it's all too familiar for them, the images of Justin Trudeau and his family playing dress up during his trip to India, but some of the issues with India go beyond that, and you reference that talking about local politics taking precedence over foreign policy. What is it that the Indian government has been upset about Canada with regard to? Well, as, as, as recently as earlier this month, the Indian government took Christian Freeland, the, the global affairs minister, aside at the G7 meeting in Japan to say that um, they were not happy with, with Canada and that the frosty bilateral relationship would continue until the Liberal government took a definitive stance on Sikh nationalism and the, the idea that uh, uh, there are a, a, a large number of Sikhs in Canada who promote the idea of Khalistan, a, a an independent Sikh homeland in the Punjab, in, which is part of India. You know, I think ma many of Trudeau's problems in when he went to India were because there was this feeling in the in the in the Modi government that the Liberal government here was taking a deliberately ambiguous position because it was good electoral politics for Trudeau, and we you know we've seen numerous indiscretions where. Liberal MPs, including the Prime Minister, have turned up at events where Khalistani flags have been flying. You know, if the shoe was on the other foot and it was uh, Quebec separatism, and, and it's clearly it's worse than that because there is a, a violent extremism mm. to some of this 
nationalism. Um, and the, the feeling in India is that the, the, the Liberal government has just not been tough enough on this movement and they're, they've got a case, I think. And what about the US? I mean, obviously, we were able to get a NAFTA replacement deal done, but it wasn't without some struggle and some conflict. Are, have we smoothed things over with the United States? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was in um, in Washington with Trudeau last month, um, and it did seem like that signaled a normalization of the relationship with Trump. You know, a year after Trump's advisor said there's a special place in hell reserved for Trudeau, uh, it does seem that, that they have common goals now, which is to get the new trade deal signed. Normal service does appear to have been resumed. You know, I, I, I agree with, a, I, I interviewed a, a number of, former ambassadors for this piece that I wrote last week. And one said, I'm careful not to carp about the swimming stroke of a guy caught in a whitewater cascade, <laughs> referring to referring to Tr- Trudeau's um, troubles with Trump. But I yeah. mean, it, it, trying to strike a trade deal with a protectionist must have been a pretty hard job. And they did okay. I mean, Trudeau came out the day the thing was signed and said, it's a great moment for Canada. Well, I, I think that was, that is over-egging the pudding, but it is... Um, but it was pretty pretty hard to get any kind of deal that did not cede massive amounts of sovereignty to the U.S. That appears to have been, at least on face, a success that we got a deal done. Have there been any other successes in the last four years? Yeah, I think that, uh, well, we got the European trade deal across the line. Christian Freeland was kind of instrumental in doing that, although it had been obviously been started by the Harper government. Uh, Trudeau was actually... Uh, pushing that deal today and it's still not clear that all the all of our European allies are going to are going to uh, sign off on it um it's even less clear that the the thing is being uh taken advantage of by Canadian companies i mean it, i think the the jury is still out on whether it's been a, a great deal for canada certainly if you try and buy cheap foreign cheese good luck to you because it, <laughs> it doesn't seem to me that um some of these prices have come down any. I mean, somebody's taking a cut somewhere, but it doesn't seem to be the, the consumer that's getting the benefit. But, I, you know, credit to them, they got that deal done. The other, the other one that came up when I talked to some of these ambassadors was the Lima Group, which is this collection of 12 countries trying to create a peaceful solution to the crisis in Venezuela. It seems to me that that is a, a, a pragmatic, flexible attempt to uh, come up with a, a new type of Uh, solution to a problem which seems pretty intractable. Looking ahead to this fall's election, obviously there are a lot of issues that Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives are going to try and hammer the Trudeau Liberals with, uh, the carbon tax, the economy, jobs, things like that. Does does foreign policy factor into that? Do you think that this could help the Conservatives in the coming election? Well, I think the India thing does. I mean, any time you show a picture of that, people are just going to roll their eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the the uh, the suggestion that Justin Trudeau is not a serious person, you know, that trip and all the, the images that went with it um, plays into that narrative. And, and that's clearly something they're going to, going to try and hammer on. China, obviously, as well, the, 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 there are still these detainees in China. Uh, being held by the Chinese, it's not clear to me what any government would do that would be so different to get them free. Although I think that 
For example, getting closer to Taiwan is something that I've been writing about. I think that that is a, a, a sensible thing that any conservative government would find easy to do because it's a it's a democracy, it's a capitalist society, mm-hmm. and they're desperate for, if not outright recognition, diplomatic recognition, then at least a little bit of diplomatic help along the way in, for example, I was writing last week about the International Civil Aviation Organization based in Montreal. There's a big meeting next month or in September and Canada could invite Taiwan as a guest observer. Um, those types of things, they, they kind of infuriate the Chinese, but it puts pressure on them to to respond. I mean, to, and it gives Canada leverage. Canada is not without leverage. Um, from what we know publicly, it doesn't seem this government is doing much on, over the detainees. I think they're probably doing more in private, but we don't really know what that is. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the China thing could play again. Um, they're, to a lesser extent, smaller areas or, or lesser uh, controversies like Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't think the tweets that were sent out by Christia Freeland calling for the release of these two women, women's rights activists, which then prompted the Saudi Arabian crown prince to cut off all ties with Canada, I don't think that that was great diplomacy, and and neither did the uh, our ambassador in Saudi Arabia who left and called said that the minister had gone too far. Well, I, you know, I guess we'll see how this all may may shake out come October. John, thanks for your time. Okay, all the best. Thank you. Like what you heard today? Get more of the National Post's award-winning journalism, complimentary for thirty days at nationalpost.com/podcast. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest, John Iveson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.